Hello, welcome to some Derps Talk About Games. I'm your co-host, Mango. And I am your co-host, Buddy. And today we're going to talk a little bit about John Wick 2. But before we do that, Buddy, why don't you tell the folks at home what it is we do on this podcast. On this podcast, we like to talk about... Well, typically we like to talk about games, but today we're talking about movies. Because we also like talking about movies every once in a while. We've only ever done one TV, so, you know... Yeah, and, and as several other more famous media outlets put it, Stranger Things is uh, is more akin to an eight-part movie than it is a regular TV series. Oof, do I actually think that that's the case? Well, I think Netflix has that problem in general, but we're not here to talk about that. We're here to talk about John Wick 2, which I saw the other day. Did you see it on opening night? I did. Oof. Um, you know, it came out on, what, like the, the 10th, and I saw it on the 9th at like 10 p.m. or whatever it was. It was... Uh, very, was your very theater satisfying. packed? Um, it wasn't packed, but it was. It, there were people there, and it was kind of like that opening night kind of vibe, where every like you know a little bit looser with the be quiet stuff. People cheering, a couple people behind us that were obviously very pumped and probably on some sort of substance. Um, and everybody kind of like hooping and hollering the whole time. You know, really um, contributes to the movie going experience, especially for an action flick like this. Um, so you would say, do you prefer that kind of thing? Um, for a movie like John Wick 2, yes. For silence, for silence, I would not. Like, if I went to silence, people would be like, yeah, show those <laughs> Japanese <laughs> Christians what for. I'd be like, no. But but for John Wick 2, it, um, by the way, because I always forget to do this, spoilers for John Wick 2 from this point forward. Oof, well done, because um, I would, would have totally spoiled something. But when, like... But when, like, he's in the bar, and the camera point pans to a pencil, and someone's like, it's the pencil! Everybody just starts going, wah! Like, I, I really enjoyed that. Um, and I, I thought it was a good experience. I, 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 find, it, I find it uh, uh, intensely annoying. Uh, like, okay. it, when, when I went to go see episode seven, it was the most annoying thing. Because it was like every, seriously, anything would happen in the whole auditorium... You know, would like there was a plot like it was like every line was a fucking applause line. <laughs> like, okay, so I, I can see that that getting annoying. Yeah, I, I think there, I think there is a I think there is a happy medium there though. Yeah, that's fair. I also like you know I also like uh, uh, getting you know I want to be in you know I want to be like invested and and everything and it, like it kills me when someone's cheering or whatever means that I miss a line or ah, something because it's too loud. That kind of stuff always bothers me yeah my my theater was packed but i but it wasn't um uh rowdy yeah it wasn't overrun with people i actually had a really shitty seat which bothered me i always try and get a center seat kind of wherever you know wherever in the theater i can find it but there were none so i had to be on like the far far right side which always makes me feel like i'm watching it wrong yeah i feel that we managed to get uh we managed to get decent seats though um, there's also a, th for really important showings, there's a, there's a theater near me that does a signed seating that, that I can, uh, pick out. It's also a nice Yeah, theater. I mean, I, I almost always do a signed seating. It's just, it just happened to be, uh, I guess it just, it just happened to be, I was like too late, which was, uh, which was interesting, especially cause I went to go see it. I mean, I basically went to go see it on Friday night, uh, like a late showing on Friday night, the week after it came out. So I was surprised to see that it was uh, such an such an active, um, you know, place. Mm. Well, um, just kind of in a word, what, what were your thoughts on it? 
I thought it was good. I don't know if it was quite as good as the first one. It definitely didn't feel as good as the first one, but that's almost entirely a result of like that movie came so far out of left field, right? Like it's actually kind of funny if you think about it in the context of um, <clears throat> movies like this are almost universally awful, right? Like right. John Wick being good is like if somebody had come to me and was like, hey, listen, you, I, this is going to sound crazy. But Vin Diesel's The Last Witch Hunter was actually amazing, right? Like, you know, it's it was a passion project, you know, put together with a guy and his buddies who had never directed anything before. And you just kind of assume, you know, like this kind of thing, you just kind of assume it's like, well, they're doing a little bit for them. You know, they're not going to take it as seriously. They're going to cut corners, right? But it was the opposite, right? Like, you know, that that movie is so uh, uh, kind of methodically put together. And the same thing is true for John Wick too right and i really right. appreciate that and to a certain extent it makes me um like i you know people always kind of say this about action movies uh but they kind of are never right where it's like oh this is gonna change the way action movies are sh made shot filmed whatever you know going forward and uh, and a lot of the times i kind of think that's like hot air to a certain extent but this one feels like real you know what i mean like i could really see a lot of uh I would be I would be unsurprised to kind of see John Wick stuff bleed into other action movie filmmaking in the same way that like you know like The Matrix did or like 300 did right or like Iron Man did right like if I'm trying to think of big yeah kind no, I, of, uh, yeah I think I think I agree with your general assessment um I also too think it's hard to kind of like figure out like if if it's actually rise up from John Wick John Wick one because I don't, I don't know if uh, I ever told you this but when I went and saw John Wick one it was literally like on a whim people were like you want to go see a movie tonight because we're not doing anything I was like sure and we were like well what do you want to see it's like well this movie has guns and I had literally never heard of this movie before we went we sat down and I was blown away by John Wick one. And this one, because I knew it was coming, I at least I had some anticipation. I think that's almost universally a negative thing. Like if if I could not hear about anything and just never be hype about anything until someone like dumped it in my lap, I think my life would be a little bit better. Um, as if it was good, right? Like it, dump it in my lap if it's good, get rid of it if it's bad, and I think I think I'd have a general uh, a generally better media going experience. Um, across all forms. That way I don't, like, hype myself out on uh, on stuff. You know, it's interesting. Because I feel like, you know, this is something I hear a lot, right? You know, where people are like, I go into movies with really low expectations. That way I can't be disappointed. And I definitely have been disappointed in, in you know, movies before. But um, I don't know. I definitely can be rewarded for the hype. I guess it feels, I think it does, you know, like it feels good when a movie that I'm hyped for lives up to the hype. If that makes sense. Yeah, that's fair. Um, even, even in it. Well, it's also, you know what actually it is, is it's also because I'm good at separating out kind of like, uh, judgments on quality from like judgments on whether or not I like it. The poster child here is obviously, uh, like Batman versus oh, Superman. Jesus, fuck. <laughs> I was wondering if you would figure that out. But the point is, you know, I was really super hyped for that movie. And I went in and I, you know, and I could see all, you know, I could see that there were these flaws and it was 
shitty pacing and the logic didn't quite make sense but i still liked it anyway and i knew i liked it and they felt great um the same thing is true of some uh you know of of plenty of other movies i'm trying to think of something that i was like really hyped for that was just super disappointing um because that definitely does suck you know like that definitely does uh kind of hit me yeah i i, I think my point is, is there's there's kind of a magical feeling when something you're totally unaware of just kind of gets dropped in your lap and it's very good. Yeah. Um, again, this even goes outside of media, right? Like some of like the best um, eating experiences I've had is when I've gone to a restaurant and been like, seen something I've never had on the menu, picked it and it's very well made. It's like, oh, this is amazing. Um, and it's kind of like, you know, it's, 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 it's that kind of like, I guess, excitement of discovery, if that makes sense. And I think the same thing happens if you're not expecting, like, if you don't know that a, a movie exists or whatever, and, and it gets dumped on your lap, and you're like, here, watch this. It's like, oh, this is delightful. Um, um, but I, I do think you're right. I think hype has its place. I just I just do enjoy that feeling of discovery. Yeah, I definitely, I definitely feel that. Um, I think the most, I think the best example of something I've been hyped for, especially for this podcast, because we spent like five episodes on it, uh, it's probably like Fallout 4, you know what I mean? Just that like sour taste that it kind of left, and I tried so hard. And that, you know, like that's the thing that frustrates about, <clears throat> that the, is frustrating about like uh, uh, something that you're hyped for that ends up being disappointing, um, is that like, you're, you're, you know, like if something, if there, a movie is bad or a movie is disappointing that you're not kind of, uh, you know, that's not, that, that you're not invested in, it's easy to kind of brush that off and not, not care, not deal with it. Right. Um, but it's when, you know, it, it, there, there's, there's like a weird, like addict spiral of like, well, maybe, you know, maybe it'll get better. Maybe it'll get better. And then you end up sinking a hundred hours into fallout and you're like, well, I was right the first time kind of thing. Um, though obviously, you know. You can't really do that with a movie, but the point still stands. Um, but anyway, yeah, I thought, you know, I thought, you know, it, you know, <clears throat> it's also hard for me to parse whether or not I think John Wick 2 is better because it has a couple of different, like, it's different on, in a couple of different ways, right? And I'm not quite sure how all of those differences equal out in the end, right? Like, I think thematically it's better. I think the characters are worse, I think the plot is worse. I think the action is shot better. I think the settings are better. You know what I mean? Like, there's a couple of places where it's better, a couple of places where it's worse. And I don't quite know, you know... It all kind of a averages out to about the same thing, right? Like, I think they're about as good as one another, even though they're, you know, marginally different in basically every way. I think it, it either got better or worse... You know, when you kind of look at it from any different angle, um, but yeah, yeah. I also, I also think that um, I, I am not excited for what will inevitably be John Wick three. I feel like um, so kind of the big, the big thing at the end is that he's out of the world of assassins now and kind of on the run with his pupper. Um, and I think dropping kind of like the world of assassins element or like that kind of not like, I think that's one of the strongest elements of the stories is kind of like he lives in this yeah. world and that being that, that being external, I'm, I'm sure the plot of three is going to be John McFigures out how to get, how to like deal with that. But I feel like being outside of, it's going to really hurt the, the, 
uh, the, the I film. 100% agree with that. In fact, you know, people always, when people talk about John Wick 1 and what it, the first one did so well, everyone kind of talks about, like, the action. But I actually don't think that that's the... I mean, I do, right? Like, I think that they, you know, them being very detail-oriented and sweating the small stuff and not cutting corners is really important and super good and everything, right? But, like, the thing that John Wick did that made it so, so uh, kind of just like shot it into orbit i think uh was that like that like really clever world building right and they didn't and they didn't play with it too much right like it wasn't it, w- it was mysterious it and was you get subtle. a lot more yeah and you get a lot more answers and it was very subtle right but like it it had it had this kind of quiet confidence to itself like it didn't have to explain the value of one of these coins right you kind of see that he has this gigantic kind of uh, chest of them um but when he goes to when he goes to the continental right he can like pay for anything with just like just one coin yeah right? like, I, I i think that that particular element though does kind of start to break down after two of these movies i saw someone post a like something on the internet it's like i would like to dispose of this body um discreetly all right that will be one gold coin I will. I would also like a martini. Also, one gold coin. Yeah, yeah, I feel that definitely. Um, I feel that that must be like the best martini. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and maybe it is. I don't know. He drinks scotch. It could be like 150, you know, year old yeah. bourbon or something. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, yeah, but I, think, but I definitely I think... feel like that's like a you know, don't sweat the small stuff about this. We'll kind of hand wave it. Yeah. Um, and I like that those details are there, you know, like, it, th- this is this thing that, th- this is what makes this movie, you know, unique, and it's and interesting, right? And it plays into the story in really cool ways, right? Like, I love how, um, you know, like, his interaction with people, and they continue this on in the second movie a lot, you know, like, how his interaction with people kind of takes that, like, adage of, like, you know it's not personal, it's just business, like, to the breaking point, right? Like, these are people that all know each, they, like, they're not, they all know each other, right? Like, John Wick has been to, you know, whoever's birthday party or whatever, but, you know, I just, sorry, right? Like, it's just business yeah. kind of thing. I love that interaction, um, and that's just, like, really cool and really awesome and really interesting. Um, I thought the whole thing with uh, uh, Cassie and Common's character in... And John Wick Two was was great. Was just, yeah, yeah. Was, was great. Um, no, I, I I also thought that was that, that was cool because it's also kind of like where you see that break a little bit, right? Like Cassian's uh, motivations are very clearly become very personal after um, after uh, the the sister gets killed. Yeah. Um, and uh, I, I think that's neat too. That like you know these people do have breaking points at some point. Especially after the, the first. I mean, I guess that's the whole, the whole thesis of the first movie, um, is that there's a breaking point. Um, but, uh, but kind of like that was like like you know Perkins in the first movie was someone who's just purely motivated by like doing exactly what she wanted to do, um, whereas Cassian's um, who who kind of fills in the same kind of role I think, um, uh, is 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 a is, is motivated by. Um, I don't want to call him a villain, but he, he's motivated by the opposite things. Um, and, and similarly, um, John Wick is motivated oppositely in both of these films as well. In the first one, he's motivated by emotion. And in this one, he's kind of at least initially motivated by like this duty, like in this professionalism that that he has to follow through on because of 
um, the plot device. Oof. Uh, I, so, well, mm, I actually do think that it is... Well, it's a little bit of that, I guess. I do, I, do, I do agree with that. But I think that the thesis of this movie is very much about, like, yeah, that first one was about kind of clearing your grief, right? Like, the first movie is John Wick processes, you know, his grief by just murdering hundreds of people, right? Um, but this one, I definitely, I loved the bit where, um, you know, like, the thesis of this movie is kind of talked about where the guy is like, you know, like, you're addicted to this. Right, and I think that that's where the movie comes down on, which is why he's so willing to not give a fuck. Right, like, yeah, come after me or whatever. I'm, I don't need the, I don't need the continental. Right, like this contract isn't going to be cleared on my head. Um, and I like that. And I like that. I thought that that was, uh, I thought that that was pretty. I thought that that was pretty strong. I think it's a little bit frustrating because um, I also like, I, I like Cassian a lot, and Cassian was a great addition. Um, in terms of like, like in a way, he's. He's also John Wick, right? Like, he's motivated by the same kind of, like, very personal vendetta that John is. And it's nice to see that other characters also exhibit that kind of behavior that he's not... Uh, you know, he's the only person that exhibits this kind of... Um, th it, it, like, like, being motivated in that way in the first movie. Everyone else is kind of motivated by business and he's motivated by grief. Um, but I like that, you know, in, in the second one, both Cassian and John are are motivated by this kind of um, you know like professional vendetta of like you made me look like an ass and now I need to make you pay for it if that makes sense uh, see I, I don't see Cashian's struggle to me was less about you made me look like an ass and more about you killed someone I cared about like that I I, th I think that was that was supposed to be the message that Cashian truly cared for I can't remember the the character's name but the the John Wick's first target, and that—that's why he was driven to, to such lengths for revenge, not because of professionalism. Interesting. I don't know. I, I don't think that's a wrong read, but it's just not the one I got. Yeah, fair enough. Um, um I actually do. I do. Um, but it kind of Cassian felt like the only character that was at or better than the the first movie i one of the things that really works so much about uh the first movie is that kind of all of the characters um are just like really crisp right you know willem dafoe and uh and uh alfie allen's just like shit heel character um and you know the the i think his name is victor the russian guy obviously adrian Paliki, right he, and and all and the holdovers are still the holdovers right um winston is great uh Ian McShane is the best. Um, but it feels as though the they kind of tried to do the same thing and came up short. Uh, like, I didn't really... Like, the, the intense uh, kind of familial thing that went into what made Victor... I want to say his name is Victor, but I, it might not be, and I really apologize if I'm fucking that up. Um, in the first movie, So Good didn't quite come across with... Uh, whatever his name, like Santiago. Yeah, um, whatever. Yeah, his I can't name remember. Is. I can't remember. Uh, man, this is awful. I should look up their names. Um, <laughs> and so that is a problem, I guess. It, it, I don't know. Yeah, I no, mean, I, yeah. I, I definitely feel. I, I don't think he was as Vigo is the. By the way, the uh, the other guy's fucking name. The the John Wick one or two in John Wick. Uh, in John Wick 2, even the little characters in John Wick 1, right? Like, whatever the, um, uh, 
the the kind of conciliary figure who's that like just like oh the guy that doesn't yeah yeah, he does those like really annoying commercials or whatever um yeah like even he was like like super super great or or like um santino uh, is is the other guy santino okay Or, or like the 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 black dude in the vest that he hires to watch perkins I thought yeah, was, yeah, yeah, God, exactly. Where, whereas, like, Lawrence Fishburne, I thought, was mostly pointless in this movie. Well, okay, yeah, so I, so, so I did think Lawrence Fishburne was pointless, but I did like his character a lot. I thought Lawrence Fishburne was cool. Um, you know who really didn't do it, which really sucks, uh, is Ruby Rose. Uh, who is that? Is that the... The, the, the mute... Yeah. Oh, I thought, I thought I thought she was great. I, I really enjoyed I really enjoyed her her kind of antics. There was no there weren't a lot of them, but I, I I really liked the idea of like a mute assassin being like lol 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 all over the place and shooting people. I don't know. Yeah, I don't. Know. She felt very bland. Okay, to me. I I uh, can feel that too. Like I, like, I think these movies are really good at making kind of stereotypes, like, unique and... In, well, unique is the wrong word. They make these stereotypes, like, they give... Like, idiosyncratic, right? Um, they give them something uh, about, you know, like... About them that makes them really, like, memorable and really work. And uh, and I guess that was supposed to be, like, her being mute. But she just kind of was... Nor- she was just, like, a normal... Uh, she also doesn't get enough time, I think, to shine, which I think is... is okay, is, fair enough. That might be the case, yeah. Like, she gets, like, three scenes total, maybe, and I think with a little bit more, she would have come out more. Um, Like, like, like the, um, kind of, like, I guess the emotional impact of her death didn't really land, and I think it was supposed to hit a little harder. Um, uh, but, but, like, like to, to Lawrence Fishburne's character, I, I thought... Like, the character concept was neat, but I thought that whole segment was just kind of, like, whatever. Um, and I, I didn't think... It, I, I, I would have liked, like, a little bit more time with them to kind of understand what was happening there, maybe. I, I don't know. I just... That, that segment felt very much like, and now for something completely different for five minutes because we want to get my friend from the Matrix in here. Um, and and it, it it felt completely unnecessary to the, to the story. You could have had a... I actually really like that. I mean, I really like that to a certain extent. There was a lot. Of, I, I actually just rewatched the Matrix movies or the first two kind of on a lark. Um, and it was awesome how much of a throwback that interaction. Like it was it was actually kind of I'm really surprised that they put as many Matrix references in that in that bit as they did. Like, I think he directly quotes himself like Lawrence Fisberg directly oh, quotes. Morpheus, but is it? But the thing is, like, it would have been okay. So if he had done like a red pill, blue pill thing, right? That would have been too that much. That would yeah. have been that would have been way too much. But like, it was just subtle enough that it really worked for me. I guess. Okay, that's um, and, and 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 you know, like that's again that that's all fine and good. Like I I just don't think the scene did anything for the 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 the, the story overall. I have a feeling that maybe it's setting something up. That that or, might be true because I I think know. I think this is the other thing. Like it wasn't very clear, but I think he's supposed to be outside of like that world. Yeah. Um, and because of that, that might be where he goes in John Wick Three, which would make sense. Um. Yeah. Uh. Yeah, I mean, you know, I also think that. Um, 
And they can have a subway card called the Nebuchadnezzar, and it'll be great. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I also think that that was probably the strongest aspect of, like, the new world-building stuff that they did here. Uh, Which, you know, like, I like like this idea. And I like the the bit with the hobo, um, Uh, you know, where he drops the coin into the hobo's thing, and the hobo goes and takes care of him. One of my favorite things about how John Wick works, right, is that if if you have a movie with this kind of premise of... This guy is the super best at everything, right? You need to really fuck him up, right? Like, you you can't pull your punches on him. Otherwise, he just feels indestructible and there's no kind of investment. And so, both of these movies have been very, very good about, like, just, like, absolutely wrecking. You know, like, John Wick in the process of him being, you know, he wins, but he leaves a piece of himself, you know, in every fight. That doesn't, you know, like that doesn't come back, and so, um, you know, and and I and I think it's it's really good, kind of structurally, that about halfway through each of these movies, he gets a visit, or he, you know, he gets some help where they kind of are like, okay, he's refilling his his HP a little bit, right, 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 like, right. Um, because otherwise, like I, it his his health has to deteriorate very quickly. Or else it doesn't feel significant, but it also kind of can't just keep getting worse and worse across the film, or else you'll start getting into that, you know, like, problematic area of, like, well, how is this guy who's been shot and stabbed and all, you know, like, yeah, all lost three stuff. quarts of blood. Yeah, exactly, right? Like, you have to give him some recoup time in the middle yeah. there in order to, in order to, like, keep that, that, that pace going. Because it's really great, right? Like, you know, like, the, like, it's super satisfying to see these action scenes go and to see them work, right? Um, but if you don't have him, you know, if you don't have him taking shots, taking punches in order to get there, it just doesn't. It, it, it everything kind of falls apart unless you prop it up with these, uh, uh, with these like really crucial moments. Yeah, no, I I, I agree. Um, I also really liked. The uh, the the Roman continental like and then that kind of whole, oh like, yeah that was super cool like the, the idea that a lot of this is kind of like universal just set in different places um, the Som- the sommelier I thought was uh, was 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 fun uh, like like a neat kind of like little like oh this yeah. person is one thing and he is that one thing but he's also this other thing related to <laughs> assassins um, although I did think by the end of this segment. It was kind of getting a little hokey. It's like, oh, what for dessert? It's like, really, really, you you, you you can stop with the the euphemisms like like two two sentences into this segment. Um, um I also I don't like like <laughs> the one scene that sticks out into my head super super clearly is um is when he's fighting with Cashin for the first time on the street. Um, and they just spend like three minutes rolling down a staircase. <laughs> like it's kind of cheesy, but it, but it works. Just works. It was just like dirt, 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 punch, punch. Dirt. I loved. I loved that that fight. Bro- like they broke into the Continental. So, and then it was and like, that, I thought that was great. I kind of saw it coming a little bit, but um, it was just such a great. Oh God, it was just such an awesome uh way to kind of end that fight scene because i would have been pissed i think if common had just uh because he had he had the best stuff right you know he had the thing where they're shooting each other in silencers in the oh in the end this just randomly was great and i loved the thing with the fountain right like they see each other across the fountain uh which i think was at lincoln center um 
they see each other across the across the fountain, and then they're shooting through the fountain at one another. I, oh God, yeah, they had they had the best stuff. The the whole thing in the train where they're getting closer to one another in the subway car. Uh, I think this might have been why Ruby Rose didn't quite do it for me. Is because all of the best oh, stuff went to common. common. Yeah, 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 I definitely feel that. Um, and it also kind of feels like it, in that scene right after they break into like they they jump through the window of the Continental. Um, like right after that, like Ruby Rose is kind of sitting there and is like, "And I'm in this movie too." I, know. <laughs> I you know, I, I like what they did because I get this shot. Like I understand the kind of cinematography of it, right? Like she's mute; it's easy for her to blend in the background, right? But for some reason, it was framed in just such a way that I noticed her immediately, and they didn't address it for like eight minutes. And I was just kind of like, "Where? But when is she going to say something?" Right? Like. Is she not going to say anything yet? Like, you know, it was, it was, uh, uh, it was like a little too almost obvious, I, I suppose. Yeah. I, I think that's, I think that's fair. Um, I, I think, I think another big thing about these movies in general is kind of like, there's, there's a lot of kind of like moments that you go between, but it, it feels, it, I don't know. I don't know how to how to say what I'm saying, but like it's like there are these great fight scenes, and like the connective tissue kind of like only sort of half to needs to matter, um, and then it's just like oh, there's another great fight scene with some cool ass gun shit, um, and I, I I think like I don't know. I, I feel like there's rarely been a, a more pure action porn film that I've seen recently, um. Because the world building stuff is cool, but that's also kind of very plug-inable, right? Like, you could plug in 90% of the moments in this film in, in like, near any order. Like, there's some stuff that obviously has to come for Like, the Samuel has to come before the um, uh, the, the that fight scene. But, like, I, I think you could rearrange most of, kind of, like, the scenes in this movie to just kind of, like, fit the plot around it, and it would still work. Like, there's no... Re uh... Like, there's no reason that the fight in the mirror gallery has to be like that like the the fight following the assassinate like like uh like I, I think this movie would have worked just as well if the fight in the mirror gallery was post him killing the sister and the fight in the catacombs was um was like like the the final like chase down with with uh with uh, Santino I, I I don't think you you hurt the movie so much yeah, I mean, sense. I really did like the fight in the mirrors. I, I did too. That was good. Well, I did too. My, my point is, is, it's not like it didn't need to be the last fight in the movie. Is is, sure. is my point? Yeah, I mean, I thought the movie's ending was great. Uh, well, I thought that the movie's ending was great in the sense of, uh, like, I I really like that question, right? Like, is he gonna throw it all away? You know what I mean? Like, he walks into the Continental, and you can tell that Santino is like, "Hey, I'm willing to I'm willing to just chill here for the rest of my life." Right, you know, and uh, and so that tension was very palpable. That was really that was really good. That was really real. Yeah, I don't know. You know, I'm I'm, I'm kind of like weirdly the 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 nightclub sequence in the first movie just kind of overshadows everything else. That it's very easy to call that the best, but I don't know that I don't know where what I would call the best in this one. It's a little less. It's a little less like obvious. Yeah, I, I, don't think think there, I don't think there's anything bad or anything like that. It's just there's not something that like just rises above in that same way. 
I, I think there's also like a mixing of elements like the 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 visual elements of the mirror scene were very cool whereas kind of like the raw action right like my other favorite move mo I, I actually think my, my favorite move moment hands down in this movie is John Wick holding down someone with a shotgun while he reloads it and shoots it like oh, I that was pretty sweet right and I think like like that fight is 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 filled with these kind of boisterous bombastic moments because he's well prepared he's done his whole prep work. And so there's there, there's there's a lot of that. Whereas he's very um, you know relatively low power going into the mirror fight, right? He's got a gun with what like eight eight bullets is seven, seven so, rounds seven rounds yeah some low number of ammo. Um, but the he uses almost immediately. <laughs> yeah, um, like it was it was funny because he always does like the double tap thing, like one to the chest, one to the head, and he was still doing that with seven bullets. I'm like, man, he's he's only got. He's only he's, that's like three and a half people. Well, um, I do like I, well, what I did like. I thought well, I kind of expected him to do this, and that's what ended up what ended up going was he would do this thing where he would like, you know, fire off a couple of rounds and then kind of loot the gun. So this is a, so uh, you know appropriately enough for this podcast. I think the thing that makes John Wick work so well as kind of action porn is that it's like watching someone play a first person shooter just, like, really well and really interestingly, right? Um, and there's kind of a lot of, like, small video game things, like all of the headshots being kind of gooey in their in their own way. Um, and just, what like, you know, like the like the shots being... It, like, it, it very much felt like I was sitting in, like, Payday or something, right? Um, I, I, and, you know, uh, I, all I'm doing right now is imagining John Wick spinning around in a circle while crouch jumping. And- <laughs> You can do it. He's literally a playable character in Payday 2. Oh, um, oh, that's right. I forgot about that. But, uh, and so, and and that, you know, and I kind of saw that coming, and it's a very video gamey kind of thing to think about, right? Like, you know, he shoots someone, and then he takes their gun and uses their gun to shoot someone else. But that's how he kind of progressed through the museum, and I thought that that was, uh, I yeah. thought that that was great. Uh, I did like the, I did like the whole thing in the catacombs. I liked the whole thing in the catacombs um, kind of from start to finish because... Well, it, it's a little bit tropey, and it was a little bit, you know, like it was obvious, the kind of like, okay, he comes in through the catacombs, he's going to go out through the catacombs, and he sets himself up to get these guns kind of halfway through, right? Um, but it just, I don't know, it just like worked. Mm. The, you know, the only thing that threw me off a little bit was he, he hid his shotgun, but he did not, he just like left the, the rifle laying against... Yeah, like the wall, and it's like, and there, we knew that there were people down there. Just oh, this kind of left that there for him to pick up, mm-hmm. Le- left left his uh, his his gun spawn there for him, um, and and that threw me off a little bit. But otherwise, I I thought it was I thought it was well executed too. Um, and I, you know, and this is a lot. Of, this is a lot of what I like about the kind of detailed stuff. And this is all from John Wick One as well. Um, you know, like the fact that he has to reload. Right. I love the way that he looks down, you know, that he looks down the side, that he kind of holds his pistols even to his to his eye. Um, and he has that like kind of specific way that he holds the pistol just because he's looking down the sights. Um, I think all of that stuff. I think all of that stuff is great. You know, I love the I love when he has the uh, when he has the AR-15 and he swaps between the two different sights um, by kind of rotating the barrel. All of that stuff is so good and it's so neat. Um, and it's the best, you know, it, if there was a, 
like in a weird way, John Wick has kind of become a little bit like almost like James Bond in the way that it does this this stuff. Uh, it's a little bit less like gadget crazy than James Bond is, but it's absolutely the same kind of, you know, uh, I guess visceral. Like the that they they are both mining the same node. Right, right. Yeah, I, I feel that. It's funny. People have always talked about you know like oh the 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 American James Bond and oh it's Indiana Jones oh it's Ethan Hunt oh it's whatever. But I actually kind of think maybe John Wick would be it. Maybe John Wick is what I would call the American James Bond. Yeah, I, I definitely feel that. Um, yeah. Um, the movie also is 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 like for well, it has like a two and a hour and fifteen minute runtime. For all of that, there's it's it's not it doesn't feel like there's like a lot to really go deep into because so so much of it is in like like the composition and one of the thing one of the things that I think is is really cool about it is you know you talk about like these little details with with the way he does comment that, that's all like real stuff right like that's that was kind of like um uh one one of the uh, the focuses um of of these direct directors who who are normally stunt coordinators um. What was kind of making this this very real, and I I think that, uh, I, I think it shows in it, it, it. If you had asked me like, before I ever saw John Wick, if it mattered if like the gun handling and everything was was realistic or not, I would have said no, of course not. Nobody know really knows about this. You can just kind of like flub it and it's fine. Yeah. But after seeing it right, I do feel like it it actually works a little bit better. Oh, like, after seeing it right, I think it works amazing i think it's yeah. so much better i think i would have a really hard time returning to a movie like the born movies which i think are a little gratuitous with this kind of yeah thing. yeah i'm also not a big fan of kind of like the like the other you, you know i john wick is it's funny because people try and put their finger on it a little bit but you don't or you shouldn't right what um is it's, it's tempting to kind of say, oh, it's just that he has to reload. But it's like – it's a combination of everything, right? Right. It's the way that John um, – it's the way that John's martial arts are explicitly, you know, kind of like jujitsu, right? And then whenever he fights someone hand-to-hand, that's that's what he uses and he kind of has these – uh, you know, like, the, these patterns that you can read. He's not, like, mixing and matching, and it doesn't feel intensely choreographed um, or anything like that. It's the fact that all of these shots are super rooted, right? I, You know, I actually think that the action in this film is, fil- is like, it's filmed exceptionally well, right? When the fighting has happened... It's, it's you're rooted, you're on a tripod, and you have wide angles, right? And you're just watching it unfold, and there is as little distraction as possible between kind of the moving choreography of, of the figures on the screen, right? Because they're not trying to hide anything from you. The kind of Paul Greengrass super quick edits, like super like fast edits, are all about giving you the sense that you're in the fight, and I hate it. I, I don't think, that just, just doesn't work for me at, at this point. Um, but it, but it also confuses you, right? Like you don't get a good sense of the, 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 this is the same kind of problem as like the dark Knight has at the, that end fight with the Joker being kind of like ridiculous. It's just so disorienting that it, that it loses all of its impact, but it doesn't, it, but it does still use those kind of, you know, like steady cam, shaky cam kind of, uh, shots. It's just in between 
the you know like when when John is moving from point A to point B and we're resetting our location there you've got a bunch of camera shake right but when people come back and the and the firing starts up again where boop big wide angles super tripod right you know and and that stuff uh and that stuff really like just really worked for me plus even just like on a compositional level it was so good about keeping aspects of the fight in frame that were important you know what i mean like because john does a lot of things you know like the john, john the john wick double tap as far as I understand it, uh, like not 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 in like a real sense, but just like in the context of the movie, it's about stunning people into being able to set up headshots, right? You know, he always does kind of like two into the chest and then one in the headshot, but a lot of the times it's um, threaded with other shots, right? Like he'll shoot like one or two people, right, to kind of stun them out so that they're not a threat, and then he'll he'll deal with someone kind of hand-to-hand, and then five seconds later, he'll go back to the first guy and shoot him in the head, right? This is a super, this is, like, in all of these fights, that's, like, that that, that pattern is very continuous, and I think it's very smart of the filmmakers to make sure that that first guy, you see him get shot, go down, start recovering, and then get shot again in that, with the headshot. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I also think a big part, a big part of this, too, is, like, like a lot of the way that 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 John Wick actually moves, like I feel like in a lot of action movies you kind of have like the guy and he's kind of standing up straight, and when he wants to shoot somebody to his left, he moves his arm to the left and fires the gun. Whereas this is very much like he's a little bit hunched over. He's aiming down the Both hands are on the gun. When he wants to shoot somebody to his left, he pivots his whole upper body to the left, or even his whole body to the left. Lines up the shot, shot, shot. Back to the right, shot, shot, head, head, like like you're saying, but like kind of the motion because it's all very coordinated. I, I think this is actually realistic. I'm not. I'm, I'm no combat expert, um, but like the fact that his whole body is moving gives it a sense of fluidity as well. That I think, I think really kind of like it makes it feel almost like a dance, right? A dance of death, if you will. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I am 100% with you. I also think, I mean, like, uh, you know, I also think that they do a great job with the settings on this, right? Like, I love the fact that you, um, like, for instance, little, like, it, it's structural to kind of have the script is set up to a certain extent, right? But it's also very much about, like, how the, the movie is just explicitly front-to-back shot. Um, you, you meet Santino in the museum, right at the top right he comes to john wick's house blows up john wick's house he goes and he has to pay back the marker um and he does that by you know you do that by going into the museum and you spend a bunch of time and you kind of get a little bit of like the layout of the museum not in a very specific sense you're not looking at a blueprint right that comes later but you get that that kind of like these these miniature dividing walls and all the like all that other kind of stuff that plays into how museums are laid out right and will come back in the third act when he's going through, you know, when he's, when he's moving through the museum and everything like that, right? Like, I think it's significant that he doesn't shoot his way into killing Gina. He just walks in, right? He, he walks in, he shoots her. And then the, the trouble is shooting his way out, right? Because it's, they get to, they get to set up, right? You set up him walking through the, through the, the catacombs and it's slow and it's methodical and it gives you, you know, like, okay, here's the catacombs. Okay. Here's the kind of concert bit, right? You know, like these are kind of the connective, this, the, like, these are the connective tissue, um, between them. Right. I just, I thought that stuff was great. 
Um, I love that they gave him this bulletproof jacket. They also did the same thing for Kamen, right? They they gave uh, him and Kamen these bulletproof jackets, and it wasn't, you know, like they it wasn't one of those things where. <clears throat> They give him an explicit kind of power up and then forget about it. It's all, it always plays into it. He's always trying to hide behind, you know, there are these bits where he's hiding behind his jacket. Um, it's just stuff like that. It's just super great. God, it's just so great. I agree. I, even I, the, uh, even the montage with the killers, you know, like when he returns to New York and all of these people have the $7 million, $7 million contract, right? Like you see the killers pick up the, contract in the locations that John will end up kind of like ends up fighting them in you know what I mean like that kind of setup and payoff setup and payoff that's happening all the time it's really deft it's really clever and it's and like this is the thing that makes John Wick work right um it's all of these little pieces kind of legoing together to make a big uh you know, fantastic castle of, and it's it, you know it would have been really easy to get lazy. I think I think it would have been really easy to get lazy with a with a, uh, you know, with a movie like this with John Wick two that kind of bursts out of nowhere, um, and kind of takes everyone by storm. But it's they didn't, and that's and that's crazy. Um, I really hope these guys. I don't want them to do John Wick for the rest of their lives. As much as I like John Wick, I actually don't want it to be like a franchise. If they just left it kind of at this one. I mean, they, they, there's you definitely know, a three's coming out. There's definitely a three coming. I know, I know, you know, and I know, but I would actually really like to see these guys take on other stuff. I would love to see a mission impossible. Oh, I see what you're saying. Guys. Yeah. Yeah. I would love to see like a matrix reboot or something like with these guys. Well, I see maybe I wouldn't like to see that. Cause I think the matrix lives in, uh, the matrix unreality is a big part of its appeal. Um, but you know what I mean? Like, I would love to see these guys kind of spread their wings, uh, a little bit. And I would, you know, I want to see, I want to see, you know, if they were to direct the next James Bond movie, that would be cool. Yeah, no, no actually, actually, that'd be that'd be really cool, right. or like or like some something kind of in in that vein. Um, yeah, that that would that'd be really neat. I mean, I'll, although like, you know what, I don't I don't think it'd be good for James Bond because I think James Bond kind of wants to be larger than life and vaguely not so so real. Um. I don't know. I also haven't watched a lot of modern Bond. Most of my Bond is, is a little bit more classic. Um, oh, really? Yeah, I think I think it would work well for something like Mission Impossible. I, I, th- I think you're I think you're right on the, on the money with that one. Um, or or, uh, or or things of that nature. Jeez, what do I think about that? I don't know. I you know I I'm a big fan of um, I'm a big fan of modern. Bond. Like, I think Casino Royale is the best James Bond film ever. If James Bond film ever. Um, I, I haven't seen it, so. What? It's so good, dude. It is so good. It's actually, uh, it, it's, uh, it is insane, almost, how, how good I feel like that, that movie is in comparison to, um, you know, the other one. Skyfall is also pretty good. But, the, you know, James Bond has this funny problem of kind of aping whatever the, like, the super popular kind of aesthetic is of the time. So, for instance, um, Casino Royale comes out 2006. This is right when, uh, the, like, Casino Royale is, is doing the, is doing the kind of the, the born identity thing. 
Um, then you have Skyfall in 2012, and it's doing the Dark Knight thing, you know, like Javier Bordet. I mean, it's actually funny if you line the two of them up. Skyfall and uh, the Dark Knight follow a lot of pretty similar plot points, like the part where the bad guy gets taken in, but it's all part of his master plan, which is kind of like the Dark Knight, you know, the thing where the Joker goes to the to the police station or whatever. Um, that also got, you know, that, that's also in the, the first Avengers movie with Loki, right? Like, um, And then Spectre wants to be a Marvel movie with all this focus on kind of like continuity and buildup, but it really awfully fails at it because, you know, all of the movies that came before it weren't set to be up, you know, like weren't set up this way. Um, I don't know. I would, I would really, I, you know, it, it's very up in the air what's happening with James Bond because there's a big question of whether or not Daniel Craig is coming back uh, for a new one. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. It would actually would be, it would actually be super great for Mission Impossible too because, well, unfortunately, this is actually not true for, I think, the Oh, okay, wait, one. wait, wait, let, let, me, let me pitch something to you. Okay. What about if the next James Bond had Keanu as James Bond. Oh, my God. <laughs> you know, I could do I could do that. I, you know, I couldn't do that. Could he pull off a British thing? Do you think he could do the accent? N- uh, I, I don't. Uh-huh. Do you, uh, maybe do they Americanize it? Is he an American James Bond? Poof, that would be cool. So, like, so if they kind of, like, go and, like, openly, like, acknowledge that, like, 007 is a code name that describes many different agents, which is kind of like a long running fan theory. Then I think it works because you have like, you know, like they, they they call in. Hell, you could even merge the fucking series, right? Like they call in John Wick and he's like, your new name is 007 James Bond. Oh my God. <laughs> oh my God. You know, I do have to say, actually, I don't uh, like, uh, I don't like that fan, that fan theory with uh where like all of the 007s are like canon across time or whatever i think that you know like i i get i get annoyed uh i used to really like outright hate kind of fan theories like this now i kind of think that they're like almost like a uh like a childish indulgence right like I, i'm more annoyed by them than i think that they are actively harmful which is kind of me softening on the on the perspective but that james bond one is always one that i hated because like i think that there's an intense desire among nerddom to kind of chart specifics of continuity, right? And I, and I feel this, right? Like, this is yeah. the entire appeal of the American superhero comics industry, right? If you are someone that loves minute detail in comics, right? Like, you know, like, and, and intense, intense continuity in comics, right? Like, yeah, the American superhero comics industry is for you, right? And I'm all about that. But I'm also all about, like, if it's not... If it's not for you know, like if it's not for you or it's not right for the material, don't don't make it. You know what I mean? Like, don't make intense continuity a thing if it doesn't need to be a thing. And I think that James Bond thing kind of cropped up as like geekdom took over, kind of, uh, you know, like yeah, action it, it, movie making kind of thing or whatever. It, it's, it's just it's like a, oh. it's a way to to tie all the movies together in a way that makes sense, which yeah, they don't really have to. And the mental gymnastics to make that work are actually kind of cool and interesting, right? They've actually canonized part of this in a way um where they've done the uh the thing where m moved between judy dench's character to ralph fine's character um 
and Q moved between the old guy to the young guy. You know what I mean? Like, and so I could definitely see the kind of 007, uh, the 007 thing come in from that perspective, but I really don't want it to. Mm. So, so, so what would you have, just out of curiosity, if the next James Bond were to be, um, were, were, were to be, uh, to, to be black, how would you want them to handle that? Would you just want them to be like, just not acknowledge it and be like, yeah, you're James Bond and keep yeah. going with it. Oh, okay. To I, me, I, I mean, think to it's me, valid. it's just like, it's, just... like, it's like, it's like, listen, right. You know, uh, the Batman movies from the nineties, like kind of quality problems aside, right. You know, Michael Keaton being dropped and Batman being recast as Val Kilmer. Sure. You know what I mean? Are those, are those dropping and then George Clooney being, yeah, that's fine. You are know those, I mean? are like, those, they're all in the same continuity though. What, what, like, are they in the same continuity? I don't know if there's actually like linking continuity between them. Because like I understand, like you know, I, I think there's the understanding with, with the Batman movies and with the I guess the Spider-Man movies that like even though they're the same characters, they're actually different worlds. Whereas kind of like the James the the the, the thing that catches people up about James Bond is that they are supposed to kind of be in the same. They're all supposed to be tales at least of the same dude or like you know the the same. They're all supposed to kind of share the same cinematic universe, um, at least in some very light way, right? Like, there's, they all have similar elements, and it's, it's I don't know. I, I feel like that's the big hang-up for a lot of people, is that, like, the fact that Adam West isn't Val Kilmer, isn't George Clooney, isn't, uh, I forget who the last one, isn't Ben Affleck, right? Like... I don't think that bothers people because there's an understanding that that they are. Yeah, I mean the movies make Batman. themselves very explicit uh, in the, you know like for instance we all know Christian Bale's Batman is there's continuity between Batman Begins yeah. all the way to Dark Knight Rises and that's explicit but you know Ben Affleck isn't that Batman right like um, and uh, and there and the, you know and it's obviously more important for Batman because there's natural continuity to Batman comics and the Batman mythos just because he's an American superhero but uh, my point is a little bit like you know like inside of. Uh, inside of those 90s movies or whatever they're kind of just different you know like they're like i think it's fine to do different things on the same character in uh like in rapid succession if that kind of makes sense um like for instance one of the things i would love to do uh i would love to see in uh in uh in a james bond movie people have talked about um you know idris elba right like there's this whole controversy because uh, you know, like the writer of some James Bond thing. It, it was the original. It was is the, 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 the writer of the original books. Was it Ian Fleming? I thought. I thought so. I thought. I, I thought it was somebody else. I thought Ian Fleming died. Uh, I, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I don't know off the offhand either. But whatever the case may be, some writer, uh, somebody was like, "Oh, what do you think about Idris Elba as James Bond?" And he was like, "Nah, you know, I don't really feel that right." I think he said, "You know, Idris Elba is too urban." Right, and everybody thought he was being racist, but if you actually looked at the quote, he was like, uh, you know, it's not he's like it, you know, not Idris Elba, but he mentions he mentions another English black actor yeah. in the same like sentence. <laughs> but ever you know, people people got you know crazy about it or whatever. It's like you know, like yeah, I mean, I look, I like Idris Elba as much as the next guy, but he's not the only like English black actor in the world. But I also like people who've talked about uh, James Bond uh, as a chick. I would love to see that. I would so, go bananas for like you know, uh, I think you know Jillian Anderson is what everybody said, but uh, to, you just you could do it with basically whoever. I would go, so, I would go bananas. So to uh, 
to, to be clear, Ian Fleming died in 1964, so it definitely wasn't him. Yeah, it was somebody. You know, like maybe it was his son. Maybe it was the screenwriter, or maybe like somebody continued writing the books or something. I don't even know. Anthony Horowitz um, is is the name. I don't know who that is, but that, that is a really that is a really. Um, it's, uh, he, oh, he, he yeah, he is another writer. Uh, interesting. Well, whatever the case may be. Um. I, I, you know, I'm super down for kind of futzing with, you know, what is or isn't a James Bond thing. And I, I think it would just be super cool to... Uh, I mean, you can even do it with Ruby Rose, maybe? And maybe not, actually. Yeah, I think that could work. I think she deserves... I mean, I think she wants and deserves her own action franchise, uh, right? You know, like, if she was in a movie like John Wick, but, you know, kind of built for her, I think that would be super cool. Well, what what is she originally heartbeat. from? Uh, she kind of blew up in this Netflix series, Orange is the New Black. Oh, she's, okay. an Austra- she's an Australian model, but she was uh, she was a big character in that like season three of that show, and everybody was like, "Wow!" And then she got cast in all this stuff that's like just now coming to fruition because that was two years ago. Okay, uh, like John Wick two. She was also in Triple X, um, the the Triple X movie that just uh, came back. Oh man, Vin I know, Diesel. right? Like action action franchises that I want to see more of. Vin Diesel is the next James Bond. What do you think? Yeah, uh, I like Vin Diesel a lot. Actually, I, I have do a big soft too. spot just because you know he's, he's a D and D nerd. Yeah, he's a D and D nerd. He's such a cool guy. Yeah. you know what I mean. Uh, I love I, I. It's funny because I haven't seen them all, uh, but I love how the kind of crazy and campy the Fast and the Furious movies are, and like that you know it played in front of the John Wick two trailer, and it's really funny because like. I could see myself be this kind of person, right? But, like, there was somebody who was watching, like, the the Fate of the Furious trailer and saw the fact that Vin Diesel's character, Dom, like, turns on the gang and he's evil now or whatever. And he was like, no way. <laughs> just like, oh, my God. Yeah, I've, I've actually, I actually kind of want to watch. I have never seen a Fast and Furious movie. The first one, The first one is hilariously great. I kind of want to watch them all. The first one is kind of point break, but like for car thieves. Um, But it takes itself, the the first couple of them take themselves so seriously. And uh, and then I guess maybe it was five that just kind of was like, let's get bonkers with this. (laughs) And uh, and there's been a, uh, uh, and so, you know, like, but there's all this continuity that like to that franchise that I just didn't get, you know what I mean? Like there's the part where Jason Statham is in jail and oh, there's only one guy we need for the job. And the rock goes and he goes to see Jason Statham and he's like, I will fuck you up if you cross me. You know what I mean? Like you can, like clearly he's a villain from one of the other, one of the other movies, (laughs) whatever, you you know? And it's, 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 you know, I can get into it like I, in a weird way. I'm actually kind of into that in like the last night. I went, I went and rewatched all of the Transformers movies also recently, um, because uh, I, I, ironically, uh, well, yeah, I pretty ironically love those movies. They're pretty bad, um, but, uh, but like the last night trailer where Optimus Prime comes back and he's fighting Bumblebee, and it's like Optimus Prime is evil now. Like I'm super about that. Uh, well, that was that was a thorough discussion of John Wick two and James Bond and I guess Transformers. <laughs> Did you have any closing thoughts that you wanted to do? Do I have any closing thoughts? 
No, I mean, you know, John Wick is really good. Lego Batman is also good. I have to as see another it. movie that I've seen recently. It's super good and super funny. Is it? It's, <laughs> is, is it what? Is it better than Batman versus Superman? Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, but uh, they're really not. Yeah, I know. It, you know what I, you know what I mean? Like they're really not this. Just because Batman is in them, like one of them is like an animated kids comedy, and the other one is. But you know, uh, there's a lot of heart in Lego Batman, uh, and it does it does um, something that I've kind of been waiting for the film versions to do for a while, for a long time, and I really hope they get there with you know Ben Affleck's solo Batman movie, uh, which is kind of address the importance of like the outer family. You know, Batgirl and Robin and, uh, you know, Alfred has always been in them, right? But, like, those are actually really, you know, like, if you if your only experience with Batman is the movies, Robin is not important. Robin is, you know what I mean? Like, you're probably going to agree with Christopher Nolan when he thinks Robin is a stupid concept, right? Um, but if you're, you know, if you're ingrained in the comics, you know, Robin is essential to the way Batman stories get told and are, you know, and are told, Um you know, Batman without Robin sucks. <laughs> it just flat out. Um, and so I really want them to get to the point where it's like, all right, let's do... Because you can actually do Robin realistically. Um, there's actually a really great... I have the comic in my bookshelf behind me. There's a really great uh, uh, comic called Dark Victory that kind of goes through, like, the quote-unquote realistic way that Robin... Um, that, like, Robin becomes Batman's sidekick and how they start working together. Um, but... Uh, it's never made its way into kind of film, so I want it to real bad. Awesome. Yeah, well, um, I'm actually going to use the opportunity of you talking about comics to, to segue into something about my week. Um, I actually read this last week, but I forgot to mention it. But I read all of uh, Scud, The Disposable Assassin. Have you heard of this? N no, is it something I should have heard of? Um, it is a comic book from Image. Um, it is it's complete. You can buy an omnibus, or maybe I can lend you mine if you want to read it. Um, but it was written by Dan Harmon. Um, even it's it's Rob Schraub's project. I think he drew it, and I think he helped write it. But the the reason I got to this is is um Dan Harmon wrote it. You know, obviously of of Rick and Morty and Community and all sorts of cool things. Fame. Um, and. This comic is probably the most insane thing I've ever read, um, and in a good way. <laughs> okay. Um, the basic premise is that um, this is in the what appears to be like the nearest future, um, where there's these ro these assassins you can get out of vending machines, but the trick is is once they kill their target, they self destruct. And our main protagonist, Scud, um, the Scud is the name of the model. Um, discover like he see in a mirror, he catches the thing on his back that says once his target's destroyed. He'll self-destruct. So he instead to say like cuts all of his target's limbs off and like puts it in a hospital and keeps it alive while he takes on work as like an independent assassin. Um and that if if that sounds weird on its face, it's even weirder because his first target's like a couple of plugs that can like 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 clamps human limb like different limbs to itself and has like tentacles and kind of screams. <laughs> okay. Um and in this, this is one of the, the, the things that's kind of recurring about this book is, like, it doesn't explain a lot of things. Like, there'll be, like, a, a uh, like, what's the example? Like, one of his backups is um, is this guy who's, like, a cardboard kind of cutout with zippers on it. And he just reaches inside and he pulls out random stuff. And he apparently has, like, a near-infinite in 
inside. Um, at one point, Scud loses one of his arms, um, and they give him a human arm as, like, a substitute for a little while. Turns out that arm is a werewolf, um, a British werewolf that is from space. Um, at one point, a giraffe assassin shows up, and it's just a giraffe. Like, they don't explain it. It's just, like, this isn't a, like, you know, he's an assassin, and he just happens to be. It is a insane, frenetic book. And it, it all ends up, like, wrapping back in on itself and telling a complete story in the end. Um, and it's it's great. But it is one of the craziest things I'd ever read. And I would recommend it to anybody who likes weird stuff. You know what's funny is um, normally I'm actually very, very down for this kind of thing, right? In a weird way, this is kind of my, you know, I will I will do this example not with Zack Snyder, even though I want to. Uh, this, is, this is what appeals to me about a filmmaker like Peter Jackson, right? Like... I think he's a kind of guy that is so, uh, you know, like he has such a kind of vision for like the world, right? George Lucas is also kind of the same way. Um, that is, it's incredibly interesting, but also like inherently flawed, right? And so when these kinds of people are kind of confined by the studio to an extent, right? Like you get you get greatness, right? You get, you know, like the Lord of the Rings, you get the original, uh, you know, you get the original um, uh, Star Wars. Um, and Dan Harmon fits squarely in that camp for me, right? Like, you know, it's funny that the, the you know, he gets all of this stuff for Community, right? One of my favorite shows, like, of all time, right? Like, it's, I mean, it's number two if I were to rank it at, right after the Venture Brothers. But... When Dan Harmon is kind of unshackled and allowed to be himself, he doesn't just get worse, which happens to all of these kinds of filmmakers, right? He also kind of gets weirdly less interesting to me. Like, I'm actually more interested in kind of shackled Dan Harmon than unshackled Dan Harmon, which is almost universally not the case when I think of the other people who are in this kind of camp. Like, I'm so much more interested in how Peter Jackson does these Hobbit movies than I kind of am in The Lord of the Rings, even though The Lord of the Rings are by basically every measure far superior films. Anyway, um, do you, what, what do you think of Rick and Morty? Well, so Rick and Morty, so Rick and Morty to me is is shackled Dan Harmon because he has Justin Roiland. I feel so much like, of feel, that is also just so, is, of, is Justin Roiland. I, I feel like he's less shackled though, like <laughs> than he was. Oh, that, he's definitely less shackled than Community. Sure, um, but like where Community kind of went off its own rail, like even when when Dan Harmon came back for seasons five and six, um, which I you know I think all of Community is really good, right? Like I'm not trying to like get on Community, right? But like the the very best Community are season one and two. Right, and I think it's when he's when he's kind of working it. There's kind of a um, this is kind of like one of the secrets I think of art and kind of just like super large scale culture stuff. There's this expectation that you know, you know, artists exist, you know, and that we should allow them to kind of go nuts. And yeah, to a certain extent, you get a a Steven Spielberg or a Martin Scorsese who are guys that are just like bona fide singular artists, uh, right? Um, but more often, I think, you know, you when people are kind of constrained and, like, when studios – this also happens in games, right? You know, um, those kinds of constraints really thrust forward people's greatness a lot of the way in, – in a lot of ways, right? You know, when Kevin Levine has to uh, – when Kevin Levine has to tailor Bioshock to be a release for a publisher like 2K Games rather than just kind of being given carte blanche – you know, like, the Bioshock 1 is the better of Bioshock 1 and Bioshock Infinite, if that makes sense. 
Yeah, I mean, I think that's even true of like, like, like George Lucas, right? Like you can. Oh yeah, you know, yeah, George Lucas is definitely, definitely yeah. in there. Um, um, and so I don't think Dan Harmon's completely unshackled in this because he is he is tied to Rob Schraub. This, this is Rob Schraub's scud, um, okay, the disposable assassin. Um, but he is definitely like the most off the chain he's been. I I don't know like I don't know like how the writing duties break down on this, but it's this is like. This is like in the way you're saying. This is what I would imagine, like the least restrained Dan Harmon thing I've I've ever touched, um, and I don't think it's as good as, as say Rick and Morty or Community, um, medium nonwithstanding. Um, but I do think it's worth a read. I do think it's worth worth seeing because because it, it is something special. It's a special sort of insanity that has its own merit that you can't get when 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 you don't have the the, the kind of freedom that that that's very obviously allowed here. Um, yeah, yeah. I, you know, I. It's funny too. Uh, I'm also very much on kind of the the Vertigo. There's like a weird kind of competition between like Image Comics and Vertigo Comics, and I almost universally like Vertigo Comics more than their kind of you know like as like as ways for kind of writers to express themselves. You know what I mean? Like Brian Azzarello's Hundred Bullets or uh, Brian K. Vaughn's Why the Last Man Fables. These are all Vertigo imprint uh, books uh, that I like a lot. But uh, you know, sure, yeah. Um. Yeah, did uh, that? That was one piece of my week. Did you do anything interesting with your week? God, that's a good question. I did. I did something, but I can't remember what it was. I was going to talk about it. We put. We played Dusk City Outlaws. Oh, we did. But we're going to get a whole podcast. For yes, that. next so, week. Uh, yeah, we we didn't play Rune Lords. We didn't play. We also pushed Hell's Rebels. Um, so we didn't play anything but Dusk City Outlaws. Uh, God, fuck! I totally played another game, but I can't remember what it was. And I had a whole thing, I had like a whole point to make about it, but I'm like super brain farting. All right, well, I can talk a little bit about For Honor, if you want, because that got it Oh, fair enough. Yeah, tell me tell me all about For Honor. So the full release came out, um, and I put a bunch of time into, I beat the whole story, and um, it's not a very long story, and it's very kind of tropey and trite, but it's neat for getting to learn the different characters, and it, it, it's all right. Um I wouldn't buy the game just to play the story. I'd buy the game for the multiplayer and diddle around with the story. If you're bored and you want some some uh, some stuff to look at, I um, in particular I want to highlight that the so essentially you spend a chapter with each faction, and the main okay. conflict really kind of centers around like what the knights do and how like the samurais samurai eventually respond and the. The, the the raider the the Vikings are kind of in the middle and they don't really have a ton of impact on the meta plot so it's but it's also a little bit more lighthearted and funny so I really enjoyed it from that perspective like in one of the opening uh missions um like there's th- this guy is like throwing axes at a door and one of, somebody on the other side opens it is like what and he gets hit in the face with an axe <laughs> I saw that in the uh, uh, I saw that in the bunny hop yeah yeah I thought that was hilarious and there's there's the, they they go raid the Japanese or the, the samurai, and, like, um, at one point, you, you, you face off against this boss, this boss gives you this long speech in Japanese, and I couldn't under, I thought, like, damn, I'm missing, like, subtitles or something, and then the next mission, they're like, so, so what did you find out? And the one character's like, oh, I, I don't speak Japanese. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> yeah. It's really funny. <laughs> Um, and so, and so it's, it's fine that way, but the, the multiplayer is actually kind of where, uh, the, 
the game really shines. Um, I don't think it's perfectly balanced, but it's still a lot of fun, especially at like the level I'm playing at, which is not super high level. Um, something that I think might hurt it in the long run is it really feels like aggression is severely punished, and I think you want to reward aggression a little bit more in these games. Oof, I think I think that's super important. You have to always be on the side of aggression. Um, otherwise, uh, otherwise you just stagnate. Yeah, I, 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 I think I think they could tweak some things. I think there's just a lot more defensive options. There's also some other um, problems like I I played I've been playing a bunch of elimination today because I've got quests dailies essentially to do for them, um, and. Um, there was this one map where we killed three of their their teammates and they killed one of ours, so it's three v one. Um, and for the rest of the match, this one guy who was on the super fast class just literally for two minutes just ran in circles, and we couldn't catch him because we were all playing slower classes. Um, and that is just an infuriating. Like, I I I think it works better on like Dominion, um, where, um, where where like if somebody runs away, you can take the point. And so that's like, you know, it kind of forces conflict into these areas. Um, or on, uh, um, on one V ones and, and even two V twos, you're, you're, uh, you're faced against each other. Um, and so like, and there's nothing like, I guess in a two V two, you could kill one person and then run away. Um, but it is really a, a, a much stronger focus on kind of getting your, fa having your face to face combat. Um, whereas in 4v4, is it's very easy for someone to just kind of turn tail and run to somebody else and pick up a power-up um, and, and do that instead of facing you. Um, and in some ways, I also think that's not always the wrong response. Like, I play this I play this big, heavy class called the Shigoki. He, he can do some cool, some neat stuff, but one of the things he can do is he can launch you pretty far. Um, I play both him and the Raider, and they both have, like, pretty good throw like 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 throwing the opponent abilities. And, like, when I'm facing someone down on on a bridge, like, half the time I can just kind of, like, stun them in the right way and launch them off the level. And, like, I do not blame any of them for immediately on the next round turning around and then running and doing something else, right? Because, I, 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 like, on a 1v1 that works because, like, like the, the, the ring out stuff works because you ring them out and then the round's over. And if it's 2v2, it's not much long after. But on a 4v4, if you get ringed out within, like, the first 10 seconds, there's another, like, four minutes of you sitting around doing nothing. Um, potentially uh, that sucks um whereas with dominion you respawn um and so i i think even though i think i like elimination the most kind of conceptually and from like and, and even even a lot of ways like minus the, the the wait times from a gameplay perspective i think that dominion and 1v1s and 2v2s are going to be the main modes and i don't even know if dominion like I think Dominion can hold up. I don't know about the rest of everybody else. I think kind of the draw of this game is like the tactical fight prowess. And I think that that's most displayed in 1v1s and 2v2. So th that might just end up being the way the game goes. But, gotcha. um, but it's still a lot of fun. Um, that's cool. You know, that sounds that. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's cool. That's awesome. Huh? If, um, did you figure out what game, uh, you wanted no, no. I did so something that I, that did occur to me though is, um, so we did you know we did an episode on Inside way back when. Did we talk about the? Mo Do you know about this model thing? I was you know a, a YouTube reviewer I like talked about Inside and someone pointed out to him you know and he did a whole like twenty minute review of it right and then someone pointed out to him that the ending there's actually a model in game in the very end when like you're you're the blob or whatever. Um. 
there's a model of the ending of the game in that kind of science in that like lab place you mean like, the thing you land in yeah yeah yeah, yeah 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 did you know about that did we talk about that i don't think we talked about that i i so i i heard about that at some point i don't know if it was before or after we we cast about it because we casted it pretty early in that game's life cycle yeah um like people found the the people found the the hidden ending pretty yeah. quick it felt like yeah um but I, like that's a deeper analysis thing is like is this all like like, what does that model mean? Like, is it is it fake? Um, what's yeah? I, I don't I don't think we talked about it. Yeah, I you know part of me just wants to say that it's a little bit like the uh, like for instance I think this is in Hotline Miami where there's kind of the secret ending, but the secret ending is just kind of ridiculousness. Uh, I'm I, it's such a bad example because I don't know the specifics. Um, but like you know I I think indie games have kind of this problem where they try and uh, where they they put in these like little Easter eggs. To be found, but they kind of just disappear up their own buttholes. Yeah. <laughs> or or even, to... even, like, you know, it could even be, like, <coughs> things like this could even be kind of, like, like a, a neat little Easter egg. And then, like, the community is like, oh, boy, what is the deeper meaning of all this? And they'll be like, oh, it just, it's just kind of an Easter egg, guys. Don't don't think too hard about it. Um, but then yeah. everybody does. <laughs> it's funny. Um, but, yeah, that, um, hmm. how's that? How's WoW going? Uh, yeah, WoW is going great. Actually, I had, a, I had a question for you. Um, how do you feel about uh the legendaries uh system in WoW? Have we have we talked about this like on the cast? I'm just wondering. There's a lot of talk, uh, especially kind of as um, uh, you know, casual players have been shed or assimilate i think this is kind of the weird natural life cycle for the game wow tends to pick up a lot of players right on on an expansion and then players either peter out uh slowly or they get kind of subsumed into the like the more competitive larger uh like you know like raiding culture or like dedicated pvp kind of culture uh that that persists between expansions right you and i are actually a great example of this right like you know we started essentially in the same place and you know you quit wow to do other things and i got more and more involved in in you know that you're like i'm like simming my characters now right like you know like um but uh there's a so as as the kind of concentration for like hardcore players has increased there has been a new kind of outcry essentially um about how legendaries are handled um it, it's especially prevalent on the server um or sorry on the on the reddit uh about it because just for whatever reason it's just like a huge um it's just a huge collection of these kinds of people but so uh so anyway here's here's like the top reddit post from this morning right uh the guy says shower thought for most DPS classes without a legendary, getting one will result in a no, like a, like a, like a no, fuck, like 75% of the time, like a yes, 20% of the time, and a meh, like 5% of the time. Um, and, in, you know, in the thread, there's 600 comments in there. In the thread, there's all of these people who are complaining about the RNG aspect of legendaries and how people feel like when they get a legendary to drop um and it's a shitty one they don't want to play their class anymore and they hate it and they hate that blizzard is making them non-competitive uh with this kind of legendary rng how do you feel about all that so i i think so i think this is kind of this kind of goes to the um 
the kind of fundamental aspect of what WoW is. Um, and because it's kind of like a long, drawn-out, like, numbers game, I think that this is kind of... This 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 makes... Like, these concerns make sense to me, right? Like, no matter how hard you try, there is always going to be a, a, a best legendary, right? Or at least, like, a... a a most of the time best legendary that, that you can get. Um, and, um, and the, the, the kind of problem is cause like with, with like say set bonuses, right? You get like one set per expansion, right? Generally. Um, mm-hmm. uh, um, well actually you get one per raid tier. Okay. Or, um, but if that's, if that's what you mean with, with set effects though, like, like the, like, like tier, like tier armor, like yeah, yeah, tier armor, yeah, 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 yeah. It, it comes, it comes out with each. Like for instance, as Nighthold has come out, right, the first set of, uh, the first set of Legion has popped up, um, and you know it's for some classes it's good, for some classes it's bad. But on the PTR in seven point two, where a new raid is coming out, the tier twenty set bonuses have also gone live. Okay, uh, or sorry, not gone live, but they've gone live on those PTR servers. So, uh, yeah, there are, there are multiple sets during. Excuse me. There are multiple sets during an expansion. They right. tend to just. Uh, but 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 what like yeah. tier twenty is always better than tier nineteen, right? Like it's yeah. Oh uh, right. Like, yes. 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 By like eye level wise. Yeah. Sure. Um. Yeah. And so like there's not like a lot of choice there. Um. And so if your set bonus isn't great, you kind of can grumble a little bit. But there's there's a lot of kind of uh, friction to switch classes, and also kind of like uh you know. Everybody in your class is kind of stuck in the same place, so it's it's easy to kind of have camaraderie around that. And it's also kind of easy to develop one keep one set per class balanced among each class. But I feel like with these legendaries, the the kind of problem is is that they're all at the same item level, but some of them have better effect better effects than the other ones. Um, kind of like you know in, in this world of, of of SimCraft, like, and because they're so random like in, in Diablo you get a shitty legendary you can just like grind for another like hour and get another one at most right World of Warcraft that's like you know weeks months even to get the next one um and I think that feels really shitty that combined with like secondary priorities I don't know if they're as bad as when I left the game or or as not even bad is the wrong word but as important as when I left the game but if they are, you have bad sets of secondaries on your legendaries. That's not great either. Um, they mostly fixed the secondary problem in 7.1.5. Okay. Um, that, I mean, there's still a stat priority, right? But <clears throat> it much more you, – you, you don't get the kind of really weird cases where it's like and, – and, you know, this is something that I said on the cast before this was going on. Um, and Blizzard kind of uh, – uh, agreed and and tuned around this the, their thing was essentially if it's 15 eye levels take it it's an upgrade if it's 10 eye levels or less it's finicky you know what i mean like yeah maybe kind of thing um and there's still things like breakpoints, right like for instance on baron uh i'm looking for haste right now and so i you know like i really need to find a good haste piece somewhere because that'll put me over a big break point like a big dps uh break point but you know most for most of uh uh, for most of it, it's just kind of, you know, if it has more strength, it has more strength. That's more important. Take it kind of thing. Uh, that, that, that makes sense. But, like, I guess this only works kind of comparing um, legendaries to legendaries then. Um, but, like. Yeah, I'm very interested because, uh, to me, this is a mindset problem. 
This is uh, – I've talked about this a little bit before where – well, where players see anything that's not optimal as bad. This happens in League of Legends a lot. Um where, uh, but but it's it's a little bit less of like a problem in league, right? Like where you know if Yasuo is garbage, right, and has a thirty six percent win rate on whatever site on like Law King or whatever, right? You know anyone that picks Yasuo is bad and terrible and awful, um, and that and that choice is very much on the player that picks Yasuo to a certain extent, right? But the frustration in WoW comes up where it's like where there's all these kind of rankings and hierarchies. Um, and, you know, I'm not going to get a legendary parse on Warcraft logs with a, uh, uh, without best in slot legendaries, but, like, there's nothing that you can really do but keep grinding for legendaries in order to get that, like, legendary parse, right? And whether or not that legendary parse is, you know, th- that legendary parse is entirely outside of the game. Right, like it's 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 there is nothing that you can do in game to show you that you have to go outside, uh, you have to log the fight and then upload it to Warcraft log and then compare yourself to Warcraft logs, right? Um, but if you're not able to make those kinds of legendary parses or whatever, all of a sudden the game's not fun. You don't you don't feel fun, right? Or the way that people are kind of complaining about um, how you know. Shadow Priest and Fire Mage were, you know, super top of the DPS charts, and now they're not, right? And so all of this artifact power has. I'm, I'm actually feeling this a little bit in Arms, right? Like in the beginning of the expansion, Fury was awful, and Arms was really, really strong. Uh, not that this influenced my choice at all. And so, uh, you know, like as as an Arms warrior, I was pretty, pretty top DPS, t- top DPS. But now. Uh, Fury is outscaling arms, and so Chakra is beating me on the DPS charts all of a sudden. And I understand how, like, I could get frustrated about that. But I think that's my fault for having a shitty mindset. See, uh, I, I... Not Blizzard's fault for designing it that way. I, I think... I actually think that that's, that's a little bit... Ro- I think that without something exterior to motivate you, you stop feeling satisfied by downing bosses after the first or maybe second time you down them. Like, it is... How satisfying is down like, inside a particular difficulty, right? Like downloading heroic, downing sure. a heroic version of the boss is just satisfying. Outside of that first clear where you've done it, right? Like, how satisfying is it downing a boss, especially one that's like kind of on farm? Outside of your performance there, right? Like, like at least when I was still playing, the thing that kept me motivated on normal runs was how well I was doing against myself in previous ones, how long I was, how well I was doing in the greater scheme of things. If I didn't have those, I probably would have gotten bored and fallen out, out much quicker. Just- oh, so I definitely so I definitely agree in the context of yourself, right? It's, it is the fundamental... The, the, the thing here is that you're comparing yourself against everyone else, right? Warcraft logs, in order to get a legendary parse, you have to be the top whatever, right. like the top 3% of everyone who parses on that fight. It's an, inherent, it's an inherently, like, relative scale... Right, you don't get a you don't get a legendary parts for just breaking 450k DPS. Right, you don't get a legendary parts for that. You get a legendary parts for parsing better than everyone else who parses. Sure, but I, I think that's still like the same valid thing, right? Like he, he, if like I don't think it's invalid for someone to say I want to be the best kind of best monk that's out there or the best arms warrior that's out there and be have that be their goal and have and being held back by a piece of RNG that is so uncontrollable, right? Like, there, you know, loot has always been RNG, but, like, you know, you, like, you run a raid enough times, you'll eventually get the pieces within some kind of reasonable margin. Sure. Um, legendaries are so arcane 
and so completely random that I think it's very easy to be disheartened by, like, you know, essentially it's kind of a known thing that like you're like you you like the, there there's better like the the more it's, it's harder to get more legendaries essentially it's you know adjusted for time or whatever, um right. and so like you know I get a chance let's say. Tell me if I'm, I'm off on numbers, but, like, let's say twice a month you get a Legendary. Is that accurate, or is that too much or too little? That's way too much. I mean, I've been playing for, what, six months at this point? I have three. All right. So three. once every two once months. Once every two I've months, months right? I've gotten a Legendary. Once every two months you get a chance for a piece of gear that could potentially put you into that kind of top level of play. Um, right? Like, that's something you want to strive for is, like, being the best. Like, I, I think this is a fine goal. Like, being best on your server even. Sure. Um and then you get a bad roll, that feels really bad because it's a roll, right? Like, it's not something you can control. And on top of that, even even as a high-level 900 piece of gear, you can't even, like, use them half the... Like, if, you know, if you've got more than two, I don't, I don't think they've added a third slot in since I left. Um, nope, just two. You, you know, like, your third legendary drops, right? Let's say it's something you don't, like, you're not going to use, right? Like, that feel, that's, like, such a waste, Right, like you can't even equip it because you don't have the slot for it. So you can't even get that stat increase. You're probably you probably would have been Ooh, better off getting a regular piece of gear in that in that slot. So interestingly enough, so first of all, I don't think I don't think actually legendaries take up that slot in the sure. same way. Um, I think that they are like a bonus on top of whatever else you would get. But yeah, you're right. Interestingly. Uh, so I have three legendaries, right? But I actually swap out of these legendaries pretty dynamically. This is a lot of what makes legendaries... This is part of also kind of why I think that it's a mindset problem. <clears throat> I do not have best-in-slot legendaries by any stretch of the imagination. In fact, I actually have pretty poor legendaries. If you were to look at, you know, Icy Veins for a ranking of them. However, my legendaries make me exceptionally good on specific fights in the Nighthold, uh, on Scorpiron, on uh, Chromatic Anomaly, Chronomatic Anomaly, and on Spellblade Allurial, which are fights that where, you know, a bunch of ads spawn um, and you need to DPS them down really, really quickly. Well, I have a legendary that um, I, I essentially have two AoE DPS legendaries um for uh burst aoe right um and so having those two legendaries means that on those two fights i hit legendary parses right but only on those two fights and on any other normal fight and for any fight that i would you know sim right like you know like a kind of uh uh, uh like a patchwork right just a, a single target dps check i would not sim well at all because my 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 legendaries are um, entirely focused around that kind of like burst AOE thing. Um, and so even though those legendaries are technically speaking bottom of the barrel for arms, there are places where it's really effective, right? And it's, and for instance, for mythic pluses, right? Like, you know, which are very AOE focused, right? Like they're, they're, they're super effective, uh, kind of legendaries. And I think that to a certain extent, it's about kind of orienting your perspective to match where you think, I, uh, I, doesn't that assume that like there's all like you know you've got a couple of legendaries that make you good at very good at at, at AOE burst right? What happens if like it, this always happens right? Like if 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 like you don't have a slotting like that right? Like you know I I don't know the legendaries anymore but like or rather let's say you get Prydas and Zephas which are kind of like whatever because they're they're very they're very generalist they have to be. Um, Right, like those 
like I, I, you know, yeah, I guess they give you the stats, and that's that's the thing that you can feel good about. But like, they're not gonna make you particularly good at anything in particular because they they have to be generalist, um, generalist legendaries. And and I think that like, I, I think it's I think it's it, that's not a perspective problem. That's kind of like a like even if like you know, I think what you're saying is like. You know, are some people mad when they don't have to be because if they looked at their their setup, they discover that they had ways to excel? Sure, I buy that. But I would also say that there are, there are probably some people who don't even have that luxury, right? Like, they don't have something that makes them particularly good at anything, and they feel cheated because they don't, you know, all their, their essentially budget for legendaries has been spent on things that don't help them in any real situation. Okay, fair enough. Uh, I just, I wonder because it is it's a very hot button issue. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm sure. You know, in 7.2, for instance, something that they've done if they've made uh, they've kind of made legendaries a little bit more like Diablo, where you get an unidentified legendary and then you identify it. And the intention here seems to be that you can swap into whatever spec you want, right? You never do that thing where like your loot spec is set to prot because you're tanking, right? And you happen to proc up prot legendary, even though it's like, goddamn it, I really wanted a fury one, yeah. right? Um, but they've also done something else that's really interesting, which is they've made them bind on Battle.net account. So hypothetically, right, uh, and this is something I'm probably going to do just by happenstance. Um, hypothetically, if you level up another character to, you know, like 110 and you get his first, you know, like the first two legendaries you get now are pretty quick just because they, um, they up the drop rate for your first two legendaries by a whole bunch. Um... What you could do is you could find it, you could get an alt, and then you could send those unidentified legendaries to your main as long as it's the same class, uh, which I could 100% do with Tonric because he's he's also a warrior, and I could send those legendaries to Baird, which has been a very divisive, uh, uh, a very divisive. That piece of. that sounds like a lot of like pay $60 for a character boost and get the legendaries you want. Like, I, I could see that... Like, I'm not saying that that's the intention, but I could see that being, like, a, a complaint levied against Blizzard. Yeah, I mean, you know, it is... Uh, <laughs> it's funny. Um, I think... I think they're going to come out and say that it's there for hardcore players, right? As you get deeper into the expansion, um, as you get deeper into the expansion, you want... It's a little bit... It's kind of a little bit like how how League manages stuff around challenger players in a certain... You know, like, in a certain way. I think this will kind of be like a, like a little bit of like a... The expectation... No one should have an expectation that you need to level up an entire other character of the same class to 110, but we wanted to give something there for you know like hardcore top top raid guilds right um in order to help them control their flow of legendaries um a little bit a little bit better that makes sense uh, I, am, I, I am personally actually a fan of uh you know they released a quest chain that allowed you to upgrade your legendary i'm a big fan of um of a system for legendaries where you know you kind of get it's a little bit like corrupted essences maybe uh, or something like that, but you get they would kind of drop for everything and you have a whole bunch of them. Maybe it would take like two or three weeks to farm up to whatever the arbitrary number is like three hundred or whatever. Um, but when you do that, you get like a reroll token so you can reroll one legendary into another one uh, for like your loot spec or whatever. I think that would kind of prop be the proper way to. Uh, uh, handle this even though I mean part of me empathizes with Blizzard and I don't want you know like I want 
I, I agree with Blizzard that people shouldn't be re 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 rolling legendaries, and there shouldn't be an expectation that you need to um, you know have a certain you know a certain legendary in order to be competitive, um, and you should kind of be like happy with the legendary that you got rather than sad that you didn't get a better one. But I don't know. Anyway, I don't know. It's just like a neat game design thing I was thinking about. Yeah. Well, uh, we've uh, we've blown past our limit by. Uh, six minutes at this point, so I, I think that should be about it. Yeah, do you have anything else you that, want to talk about? Yeah, no, I am I am good to go. Uh, you know, we'll be back on for Hell's Rebels this week, so tune in. Yeah, do uh, you have anything else you want to promote? No. All right, I don't have anything either. But if you'd like to email us and tell us what you think of Legendary System or John Wick or James Bond, or Scud the Disposable Assassin. You can email us at subderpsplaygames at gmail.com. You can follow us on twitch.tv slash subderpsplaygames. You can um, uh, check all of our links to Twitter and everything down in the description. Um, and as our, our our PR manager has asked us to do, if you haven't, if you could go write us a nice, shining five-star review on iTunes that apparently helps us reach more than four people so <laughs> talking to you three people everybody who listens which is like zao who is our pr manager and i guess vince go write reviews on itunes um uh, i think that's it did, did you have uh oh, i already asked you that um so never mind uh goodbye dear listeners uh farewell loyal listeners <laughs>